Through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. Those are verses 104 through 106 of Psalm 119. Verses 97 to 120 of which make up the psalm given for today, Wednesday, May the 12th, 2021. This is Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thank you for listening today. I appreciate your companionship on this road. Today, we're going to drop away from Deuteronomy. We're just going to spend it. We spent a minute there, and now we're going to go to a different book altogether. And, you know, I've mentioned this over the last couple of weeks. I haven't really had any choice but to mention it. But um, we've been bouncing around a little bit, and, and we've gone through some of this Book of Wisdom of Solomon that we were in before, and now we're going to take one little tiny dip into the Book of Baruch, which is another one of the apocryphal books that come in in the intertestamental period between Malachi and Matthew. And so we're going to take just this one tiny little dip into the waters of Baruch today, and it's Baruch 3, 24 to 37. And so what the writer is getting at here is pointing to the blessedness of being chosen of God. And there is a blessedness in being the chosen of God. There's an incredible blessing in that for the people of Israel, for the, for the nation that was formed coming out of Egypt. That blessing was the, the, the receiving of the law, but it was also the, the companionship of God in their wilderness wanderings, and then the promise of the companionship of God in the tabernacle and in the temple, that God's presence would be among his people. That's the, the great benefit of being chosen of God is his presence, his companionship on the journey. And so that's the most important thing. And, and so long as we keep that in mind, that his companionship, his presence with us, as we walk through this life, is the great blessing, then, then we'll keep ourselves out of a lot of trouble, we'll keep ourselves out of a lot of temptation, but the problem is, is that, that he gives us other things along with that, and for them it became land. And, and that promise of the land, and, and the enjoyment of the fruits of the land, became a snare to them. It became a temptation that turned them away from him because they wanted more and more of that. And the proof of that are the gods that they went after were fertility gods. Gods of abundance, gods of wealth. We can pretend that God is a God who gives us wealth and abundance and all that kind of stuff. We can pretend that that's his blessing to his people. But if we do, we're following a false God. He is a God of abundance, and he is a God of blessing. But the primary thing is that he is a God of presence. He is a God who loves us enough and desires to be with us. That's the reason he gave us the Holy Spirit. Because he could be with us wherever we were. Not in a place like he was with the tabernacle and the temple, but with us, with his people. And that's the promise. And because he's with us, then we have everything we need. And that's part of the argument of Baruch. And, and he is pointing to him, O Israel, how great is the house of God, how vast the territory that he possesses. It's great and has no bounds. It's high and immeasurable. The giants were born there who were famous of old, great in stature, expert in war. And this is the stuff from Genesis 6 where you're talking about the Nephilim and 
um, on these great men of old that come up from time to time that, that we just kind of wonder at. Who are these people that they're talking about there? But, but the point isn't that. It's say God didn't choose them or give them the way to knowledge, so they perished because they had no wisdom. They perished through their folly. And, and we can look at that and talk about that today as well because we have giants among us, right? The ones who are famous, they're great in stature, maybe not physically, but in wealth. And so what we've begun to do is we begin to look at these people who are around us, you know, people who own great, huge companies, multi-billionaires, athletes, whoever. And we can decide to be like them, but what, what the writer says is God didn't choose them or give them the way to knowledge. So they perished because they had no wisdom. They perished through their folly. Well, you will surely die if you die without him and if you die in your own wisdom because that's no wisdom at all. And then he goes on with this whole thing is to say where is wisdom to be found? It's to be found with the one who is the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, the redeemer of all things. And and to seek wisdom is to seek it only from him because he's the source of all wisdom. And wisdom is that which leads to eternal life, not which leads to wealth or some er earthly power or whatever it is that people are after. No, he he says, no, you, you, you go seek wisdom from him and then says, this is our God. No other can be compared to him. He found the whole way to knowledge and gave her to his servant Jacob and to Israel whom he loved. That, that's the important thing. You know, it doesn't, Israel was this tiny kingdom, but that tiny kingdom has persevered down through the ages for thousands of years in a way that these other empires that were great in the sight of the world have perished and they've gone the Assyrian Empire, the Egyptian Empire, the name them. You can just go on and on and on. The Babylonian Empire. But they're not there any longer. And neither, really and truly, are their gods worshipped anywhere. But Israel, this tiny little place in the grand scheme of things, has persevered down through the ages. They've persevered whether they were in the land or whether they were not in the land. They prospered wherever they were, and that's what's caused so much anti-Semitism is the prosperity of God's people and God's elect. And we're trying to tear that down in America today. We're trying to tear that down all over the world. We don't like that prosperity. The world doesn't like Christian values. It doesn't like the Judeo-Christian worldview. It, It wants to tear that to shreds. doesn't mean that we're perfect. It just means that it's trying to be destroyed right now. The whole understanding of how the world works and how human beings interact with one another and with the world that is being reimagined right now. And, it, and there are some decent reasons for questioning that, but, but at the same time, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. And so while we can be accused of, of all kinds of things, that doesn't mean that the response to that is, is that is hatred. And so Christianity and Judeo-Christianity are, are about to be stamped out and, and declared outlaw. <laughs> and we are problems because we don't go along with the way of the world. And, and, and that's, Jesus said, the way it's always going to be. 
we are to be a countercultural force in the world. And the more we become the cultural force, the dominant cultural force, it seems, the, the worse it gets for us because we forget him, just like um, Moses said that we would. And so what we're called to is radical reliance on him. If you would have wisdom, then you've got to stay connected to the source of that wisdom all the time. If you don't, you're going to start living under your own devices. And so that's exactly what Jesus is saying in this passage from the Gospel of Luke. He says, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, or about your body, what you'll put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. And then he goes on to, to look at nature and say, look at nature. The ravens don't worry about where they're going to get their food. God provides that. And you're of more value than the birds. Then he makes the, this perfect statement that, that the world can take and twist into something other than what Jesus intended. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And that's true. There's, it's a very true statement. But then the context can get lost and it can become, don't worry, be happy. I mean, worry doesn't resolve anything. It rarely even points us in the right direction as far as how to solve a problem that we're worried about. Usually, our minds get so fixed on it that we can no longer see our way out of that. But don't worry, be happy isn't what Jesus is teaching. He's teaching something far more profound than that. He's teaching, don't worry, trust God. Give it to Him. Trust Him, believe in His goodness and His greatness. Believe that He wants to provide and believe that He can provide and that He will. Both because He's good and because He's great. But don't worry, be happy. It doesn't solve anything. Don't worry, trust God solves everything. Because we're trusting the one who created all things. We're trusting the one who is both great and good. And so... He says, if, if, if you're not able to do as small a thing as that at an hour to your life, why are you anxious about everything else? And then he points again to nature and about the lilies, about clothing ourselves. I mean, these are, the, these are the two basic necessities, right? Food and clothing. So consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field yesterday and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? He's pointing out the value of humanity in the grand scheme of things. Those who are created in the image of God are infinitely more valuable to God, and yet look how God treats those things that are less valuable to him. Trust him is all he's really saying. Don't seek what you're to eat or drink, nor be worried. All the nations seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom. And these things will be added unto you. Keep your mind fixed. Keep the main thing the main thing. Keep your eyes fixed on the kingdom of God. Seek that in your life and through your life. And just trust him for the rest. It's a very simple prescription. Jesus didn't make life harder. He made it easier. He says, just trust the Father in all things. That's enough. He'll give you everything you need because he is your good father who will provide for you. And James does the same thing. That's all there is in this passage, this, this last passage that we're going to consider from James. And that's James 5, 13 to 18. He makes things really simple, right? He says, is anybody among you suffering? Let him pray. 
Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anybody sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer will save the one who's sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. I mean, he, he, James doesn't see life as very difficult. He sees it the same way Jesus said to see it. Because in, in all these things, if anybody's suffering, let him pray. If anybody's cheerful, let him sing praise. And if you're sick, pray. Call for the elders to pray. Anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord. Don't worry about these things, he says. Just take them to the Lord. And if you've got something good going on in your life, sing praise to him. Remember him. Remember that he's the one who gave you that thing that you're so cheerful about. It's, it's, it's a simple call. Then why am I so bad at following that simple call? And it's because it's not natural. Because of sin. Sin's taught us a different way of living and a different way of thinking. And Jesus comes to say, I'm going to take all that off of you. And then I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will lead you into righteousness. And righteousness is seeking after the glory of God first and only. Trust in Him for everything else. That is so hard to do. Because there are times when, yes, He's going to say yes, but the answer is delayed. And then how do we deal with that? How do we walk through the valley of the shadow of death with him on our side? We, we trust him is what we're called to do. But it's so hard to do that because we don't have lots and lots of people in our lives who we can trust in that way. We don't know anybody loves us as much as he does and as perfectly as he does because he gives perfect gifts. I mean, if you give me all the money in the world, I'm going to just give it willy-nilly to everybody. I don't have enough wisdom to give away lots and lots of money because I would do things that would ruin people's lives. God knows what will ruin our lives and what will make our lives. And so he gives according to his wisdom. And my needs sometimes, and need is in air quotes, will cause me to fail to trust him because he's not doing what I want him to do. And it's a difficult thing to walk by faith. I'm not going to make that an easy thing. But, but if we watch Jesus, if we watch the lives of his disciples, and if we watch the lives of those who do live by faith, then we can learn, we can grow, and we can begin to emulate them. And James's final argument on this is Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He, he wasn't Jesus. He was just a guy, is what he's saying. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three and a half years it didn't rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So he's saying basically what Bear Bryant told one of his teams one time when, when they thought they were outmanned by the other team, and that is he, he looked at them and said they put on their pants one leg at a time just like y'all do. So don't go out there and be afraid of them. And, and that's what we need to be reminded of. Is it the people that we consider to be the saints are people just like us, but they're more willing to trust God. They're more willing to live by His Spirit. They're more willing to believe in His greatness and His goodness in everything in their lives and for everything in their lives. It's not easy. I'm not going to pretend that it's easy. 
I don't do it all that well, to be perfectly honest with you, but I want to. I want life to be as simple as Jesus promises it to be here. As simple as James promises it to be here. How much do I want it? Do I want it enough to begin to live that way today?